Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I don't want to smoke lessons at you fast, <laughs> <laughs> Like, the fastest. Honestly, this weekend was outrageous. I mean... We we're going to talk about, you know, one Antonio Brown. But well, he was a Raider, and then he starred in a, what is soon to be an Academy Award-winning short film. Yep. And um, now he is a Patriot, though he is not playing in week one. Yes. He will be active, we assume, unless there are other shenanigans that develop or evolve you never in like, week two. Everything from now on with Antonio Brown must be said like any prediction, he will this, he will that. It's all with an asterisk because who the hell the knows? Way. Who the hell knows what he's going to do? Okay. I mean, it's it's it was an unbelievable saga this weekend with him, obviously. And, you know, on top of the fact we're leading into week one games the day before, he's you know, out there popping around on, on social media, getting released. Apparently being coached on by social media experts on how to get your NFL franchise to drop you so that you can um, maybe be in position for a ring. Which is, I mean, so do you buy into the conspiracy theory angle of it all? Like that he purposefully somehow had a, you know, door-to-door situation with the Patriots that if he got cut by the Raiders, he's going there, some tampering, whatever. Do you buy into any of that? Well, it does sound crazy. However, when, as I've said on a previous podcast, when you think about Drew Rosenhaus's reach within the league and you think about the history of the Patriots maybe towing that line between cheating and ingenuity, it doesn't seem completely Im- impossible. Sure. I mean, who knows? There's definitely the theories going on behind the scenes. That's what pe- people they abound. Have, yeah, they abound. Um, but either way, I mean, just from a football perspective, it blows my mind that less than two months ago, you know, we're having the conversations of, about Demarius Thomas being the number two. I mean, that was New less England. than two days ago. Uh, but before, <laughs> like less than two months ago, even before that, because like no one assumed that Demarius Thomas would be back from an Achilles injury. Did, was like, did no one assume that? I'm talking two months ago, Liz, not uh-huh. not two weeks ago, uh, where I said that he could be a big part of 11 personnel, which he was a game day inactive for you week said like one. A, like a top 15. I'm definitely didn't say that. Definitely didn't say anything close to that. But stay on message here. Less than two months ago, we're talking about who the hell are the Patriots going to throw Maurice to? Maurice Harris. Is Maurice Harris a sleeper? Jacoby Is Jacoby Myers, Myers interesting? Um, and Matt now, Lacoste, a tight end. Right. Now we're looking at 
Antonio Brown, who I still believe is one of the best separators in the NFL, one of the I mean, he's one of the best receivers to ever do it. This this last five to six year stretch that he's had is unprecedented statistically in NFL history. Lining and, up opposite. And he's lining up opposite now of Josh Gordon yep. on the other side of the field. Julian Edelman, you know, Morgan, the, slot. The, the, the man that is in the inner circle of Tom Brady is in the slot. And it's like, who even cares who's at tight end? Who even cares about Demarius Thomas? Who even cares about James White and Sony Michelle and maybe Damian Harris in there, too? It's. Suddenly, this offense has gone from looking completely depleted to looking completely stocked. Yeah. And and yeah, obviously, with Antonio Brown, as I said, anything can happen, right? Like he could be playing for. I mean, he he was he was tweeting at the Canucks, you know, uh, like <laughs> before before the Patriots signed him. That like, oh sure, I'll go play hockey. Like anything is possible with Antonio Brown. But if this all works out, also like again, I think the marriage of these two teams, like these two these Alex. two guys in 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 Tom Brady one of the you know most maniacal workers in the NFL and I could still continue who knows what Antonio Brown has been up to this offseason with the Raiders but in terms of work ethic obviously that's what he's known for at least was known for before he went you know off the reservation completely but if this if both of these parties are right I think it could be something really special Absolutely. Um, I also think the interesting thing about the Patriots is, you know, I used to do a show called Mostly Football with Martellus Bennett, who won a ring with Tom Brady and the Patriots. And heading into his season, a lot of people question whether or not he'd be able to fit in, blend, if you will, into that team. And he said that Bill didn't care as long as you did your job. And Martellus is an incredible uh, student of the craft. He has tomes like books and books and books, loves the chessness, the, the strategy of the game. And we've seen Antonio Brown also commit himself to the work of it. So I think that, you know, Bill Belichick doesn't care if you want to stunt for some videos or whatever. As long as you're getting it done on the field, then that's fine. And I just don't... I. I I, I think I think he's going to be fine. I think that anything is possible. You're right with Antonio Brown, but all things are possible in New England. Exactly. So, I, I mean, unbelievable uh, situation leading into week one. Uh, we will hopefully see Brown week two. I know he's not even on, which is unfortunate. He's not even on the sideline for this week one game. Against the Steelers. But let's talk about tomorrow's headlines today, because I think a lot of people are going to have some. And you predicted this, along with the, the Demarius Thomas production. Uh, you predicted Sick. <laughs> never going to stop. Uh, you predicted that there'd be a lot of hot takes coming out of the Arizona Detroit game in week one. And my goodness, I don't even think you knew how on point you were being because this game went into overtime, ended up in an, a tie. The Cardinals and Kyler Murray looked awful for three and a half quarters of play. And then I will say as someone who is who has been I don't want to say down on Kyler Murray, but just realistic about what a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback in a, a new situation could do, especially with the offensive line being as beat up as it was. Really, the resilience and focus that Kyler Murray showed in the last seven minutes of regulation time was extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, Mark Schlereth was the color commentator for this game, and he said right before Kyler Murray really which got ironically it got it going. Uh, he said to call the early debut of this offense garbage would have been an insult to, to garbage, garbage, which yes. pretty harsh, Mark. But uh, I, I think, look, it was it was terrible. Uh, I was looking at the NFL Next Gen Stats Twitter. Uh, they pointed out that in the first half, Kyler Murray, his completion percentage above expectation was under was below 16 percent. So mm -hmm. he completed 16, which is horrible, by the way. But in the second half, 6.6% over expectation and, of course, into overtime as well. And look, just watching the games, 
he looked so good, hyper accurate, uh, like several sideline throws to Larry Fitzgerald. And I mean, this is what you wanted to see from this offense. He throws his first touchdown to David Johnson. So, I mean, you know, it were, I don't mean to interrupt you, but no, you know, no. what it reminded me a little bit of was that Alabama game. Yeah. Where there oh, was like a, yeah. the tale of Great two point. Kylers, right? Like the first half, you're like, what is this? And the second half, you thought, oh my gosh, he's putting it together. So I think ultimately, though, this game is confirmation bias right. for the doubters and the truthers. Mm-hmm. And if I can uh, come down as a centrist, whereas sure. where I, think, I think that's about right. I think I can't, that's where I came down kind of on this offense in general. And I'll do it one more time. And that I think seeing what we saw in the second half from Kyler Murray was super encouraging. Great stuff. Love it. What I'm more concerned about coming out of this game is actually Cliff Kingsbury and not the offense or the design, but man, several really, uh, I love that you're talking about it. Go for it. Coward, cowardly decisions. I mean, especially at the end of the game to punt that ball back to the Lions where there's no real hope of you getting the ball back with how much time was left. That's mm-hmm. a clear play for the tie moment. And bro, like, what are you trusting your defense? You're Cliff Kingsbury, man. Like, give me a break. You, you're an offensive coach. Like, you should have faith in your quarterback who is hot right now mm-hmm. to pick up that fourth down. And and that was just one of several decisions. I mean, they stayed in that game. They were, I mean, I guess you could say they were able to come back in that game because they kept settling for field goals. I thought that was discouraging. So, but that also bodes well for anyone who leaned into. I said it. Drink. Um, who leaned into Larry Fitzgerald's value yeah. in the draft process, in the fantasy draft process. I mean, he led this receiving core not just in looks with 13 targets, but also in yards, uh, 113 and a touch. But he, And he looked great, right? Yeah, like running that flat vintage. route at the end, my God, like nothing phases him. He is absolutely ageless. And Andy Barron's, our colleague who was on the last episode, his bold prediction was that Larry Fitzgerald could lead the league in receptions after this game. I think Andy might have been onto something. Right. I mean, Christian Kirk ends up getting the two-point conversion, too, on a very similar route. Uh, but it was The only... bond between Murray and Kirk, I thought, was very interesting to see on the sidelines as well. Yeah. Like, we like to talk about rapport and chemistry, and those two clearly have something beyond uh, reps on the field and practice time. So I think maybe the take coming out of this is Cardinals offense, let's hold, let's see what happens. They got the Ravens next week, so it's not exactly... I, and I thought the Ravens... Oh, look, they were playing the damn Dolphins, so who knows? But, I mean, I thought the Ravens' defense came out pretty well in this game too Mm -hmm. i think we talked about this earlier that we were both kind of especially you made the point like you know we don't know what this ravens defense is going to look like early in the season but earl thomas looked right back to like transcendent earl thomas form so i I think that that's going to be a tough matchup for kyler murray in this offense next week i think they're both they're all kind of holds to me right now also jimmy smith the ravens who the cardinals have next week uh cornerback he had a a knee injury it isn't a quote season ender but i don't imagine he'll be on the field for week two but marlon humphrey the other cornerback did look quite good in this game against miami so something to keep an eye on moving forward as you're setting your lineups and letting it all marinate let's talk about injuries jacksonville lost their new quarterback nick Foles, to a collarbone injury but this Minshew boy wow I'm in, I'm into it. Uh, you are into it. I think I had you convinced as soon as I, I we were watching the games. I'm like, Liz, you ever seen you seen this Gardner Minshew guy? Uh, I show you a picture of him, and he's like, what did you say? He's like a 1980s. He looked like uh, a 1980s PI. Yeah, like a like a young Tom Selleck with that dirty mustache. Well, I mean, Brett just came into the the podcast a couple weeks ago with the mustache, and you were intrigued. So, I mean, this is like you're you're are you in, you're into mustaches? We, um, okay, let's. Uh, now I'm flustered. <laughs> <laughs> Can we 
we talk about not don't I'm don't right hear at me with that mustache, Brett. I felt like all of these Minshew... mustaches in a room. I'm the only one without a mustache, thank God. In this maybe room. by week sixteen, you never. know. I felt like Minshew looked like a person on <laughs> on ballers down. who would who would be cast as like a you Baker Mayfield type. Uh, sure. I I think. Listen, like I'm not expecting Gardner Minshew to have Gardner Minshew to have this crazy ascendance, if you will. We've seen backup quarterbacks throw the opposing defense who haven't prepared for this guy. Like I can't imagine there's that much tape available on this guy. So let's not let's manage our expectations. Though I do think coming out of this game, it is interesting to see John D. Filippo. One of my curiosities mm-hmm. moving into the season was what such a pass happy play caller could do in a seemingly conservative offense. And you saw Chris Con get fed you saw dj chark run big and have some a bunch of uh long runs um sure dd westbrook was sprinkled but we knew that i mean there could be an actual passing game coming out of jacksonville which is pretty exciting and adding balance to this offense yeah it's it's tough to say because obviously game sure. negated or necess- made it necessary that necessitated yeah necessitated thank you liz you're welcome that Jacksonville kind of take to the air, abandon the run, whatever. They did it though. They and they did it successfully. That's that's worth noting. So, I mean, it's almost going to go overshadowed from this game and from week one that like Patrick Mahomes just went out there on what we still expect to be a, a good defense, dropped three seventy eight and three touchdowns like it was nothing. You know, without his top receiver yeah, out regression there, regression is not yeah, in his vocabulary. Yeah, regression is not hitting with. By the way, a hurt Patrick Mahomes too. He has like an ankle issue coming out of this game, but Andy Reid's not concerned. No one's concerned i'm not concerned like we're fine but so it's worth noting that regret i mean uh the the game script made it necessary that they go to the air but at the same time they did it like you said so there's some execution credit that needs to be given yeah it, but i think the question I mean, they didn't win the game this, obviously yeah, i mean but come on not even close but garden Minshew completed 22 of 25 88 percent of his passes Damn. yeah I mean, he looked good and so but the thing that makes me you know it has me a little question the questioning the situation coming out of this game was Nick Foles was tearing up the Chiefs before he went out. Then Minshew comes in and does well. Is this the Chiefs defense has not taken that step forward? Or is this just the Jaguars passing offense has taken? Well, there were new pieces that need to coalesque, right? Right. So evolution takes time. That's something we talk about a lot. I think uh, to borrow a phrase from you, both things can be true. I think that is very possible here. I mean, this is DJ Chark. We don't talk about him much, but he is a big... Is he fast? Uh, he's, I heard he's fast. Oh, he's, he's fast. Is he's he, big. Was he he's the fast. fastest guy at the Combine two years ago? Yes, I think oh, that wow. is true. And, I mean, Conley was that guy, too. So they have on the outside two dynamic, big speed threats. And then D.D. Westbrook is a good speed slot receiver. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is a passing offense that I'm at least intrigued by. Not for nothing. Leonard Fournette had six targets, too. Yeah, which it, which we really wanted to see. I yes. think coming out of the, the preseason, I believe he was in on 18 of 19 of Nick Foles' first team snap. So it was clear, like, he's a three down back. He's good to go. Game script got away from them, of course. But overall, this Jaguars offense, even with Mean Shoe, uh, looks more intriguing coming out of week one than Mean I expected. Mean may be replacing Eli Manning in my power QB power rankings here. Hey, I mean, is Eli Manning going to even be in the starting oh, lineup? Oh, Danny Dimes did have some. Let, let's talk about one more injury, though, because Tyreek Hill obviously um, was le, le, was driven off the field, carted off the carted off the field, by the way, seems like so much more dramatic. That was like a yeah. golf carted Cart, off the yeah. field, not like they thrown wheel, into like, a wheelbarrow wheel, and like taken off the, like, dead body <laughs> off the field or whatever. Very, very. 
Um, You're right. That is kind of. I don't like when people say it because I, I like when someone says like, hey, did you hear so-and-so was a card off the field? I imagine sounds, like the stretcher yeah. and the whole thing. Like they put his, they put him in a coffin and then they had to transport well, I him. I mean, I wasn't saying anyone was dead. Just uh, it for just, the record. It's, like, it <laughs> sounds much. You're right. Because I've thought about this recently. I just haven't put it into words. Like. Yeah, it does sound more dramatic than it needs to be when it's basically just golf cart came and picked your yeah, ass up. Like, right. Like, you could have had cramps. But right. Ty- but uh, Tyreek Hill had much more worse. Serious. He was hospitalized. He's got a, a sternum clavicle shoulder situation. It's almost like getting hit in the sternum might hurt. You can marinate on that one for a second. Anyway, he's going to miss a bunch of games. We aren't quite sure how many. Yeah, multiple weeks. So in his stead, and actually before he left the field, we saw Sammy Watkins, your favorite player, um, showing out. So are you buying this Sammy Watkins hype? I mean, we talked about this earlier. It might be a little bit of take lock for me to yeah. say I'm I'm not Almost buying in. 200 yards and three touchdowns. But like against the Jags defense. Right. And he did we have saw him trip up Jalen Ramsey. He did run a really good route in the red zone for one of those touchdowns against Jalen Ramsey. But it's not that anyone disagrees that, you know, Sammy Watkins is capable of having big games. We saw him have big games last year. He went over 100 yards and scored two touchdowns on Brett's Denver Broncos. Like, we've seen him do this before. Even with the L.A. Rams the year before, he was, he'd was he go, you know, ghost forever, and then he'd come out with big games. We know he's a talented receiver. The thing with him is just stringing consistency. Like, there's no consistency with his route running. There's no consistency game to game. I, I, I still think even as the top target – I wouldn't go out there and, and think like Sammy Watkins is a must start. Every Do you week. know who he plays in week two? Let me let me know. I don't I don't know off the top the of the Raiders. Head. All right. Well, in week two, <laughs> in week two, you're going to want to start Sammy Watkins. There so, you go. Okay. Yeah. Let's move along to so we we did the injuries. We talked about a B. Now something that we both noticed while the games were going on was that man, these rookie running backs don't look great. No. Or at least their usage doesn't look great, right. right? In previous years, rookie running backs you could always count on, right? And rookie receivers, on the other hand, showed out. And we haven't seen a class since the 2014 class that's really wowed in this way, right? right? Yeah. So rookie receivers, good, versus rookie RBs, bad. Let's talk about Devin Singletary, four attempts, 70 yards, plus five receptions for another 28 yards. Tough matchup, right? Blarg. We, we expect Frank Gore Blarg. <laughs> hey, Frank Gore <laughs> leading the team in carries in the year 2019, or I believe he, he, he was he was first on in the backfield. Josh Allen might have had more attempts than him because, of course, but running back among the running backs, most carries goes to Frank Gore, which just gorgeous. I mean, it's nice to see the pass game usage for Devin Singletary. Like that was one question coming into well, yeah, this. Because Cole Beasley couldn't catch anything and he was supposed to be reliable. Like what are Cole Beasley, bro? Like, yeah, you're supposed to be the reliable guy. You've got the, the speed. I told you they needed to play some big and rich over the loudspeaker and get him in his groove. Uh, yeah, I mean, which, which is the, that's the funny thing too. Cause it's just like one of those, you know, narrative things like, Oh, Josh Allen, what's the point of even having one of these players? Because he's just going to miss him. He's not going to hit him. Like, there was that one outside ball that Cole Beasley dropped. That was a beautiful pass. Like, Josh Allen to me, yeah, there's some shaky parts to his game. But it was clear which one of these two was more exciting in terms of the the second-year quarterback. Sam Donald, Josh Allen. Josh Allen was much more exciting. But back to the running back situation, like, Devin Singletary – Seeing the pass game usage, five catches for 28 yards, that was important because T.J. Yeldon, I don't think anyone thinks that T.J. Yeldon's all that good, 
but he made this he roster and he's a guy who has a lot of passing game work on his resume. So it was nice to see Singletary have that role. Cause I think we only expect him to take more and more from Frank Gore as the years go on. So he's not a guy that I would panic on coming out of week one. So you're just tilted this week. You're not, not jilted, jilted correct. this week. Got it. David Montgomery. Yeah. I mean, so David Montgomery, Chicago Bears talking back about Thursday night game. I mean, there was a moment that I had I had had a couple of beers watching the game. It was a, it was an it's fun time, right? Like we've been football's in, back, yeah, baby. Come my, on, my team, my my marriage team, uh, not my side piece team that I'm watching. So I was all in, and there was a moment that I heard Collinsworth say, "Yeah, Mike Davis lined up in the slot," and I was like, "No, I didn't." Clearly, the IPAs are getting to me. Um, <laughs> is this true? Is this real life? And, you know, I think the silver lining here, or what I'm hopeful of, is that Matt Nagy will go back and look at the tape and say, my goodness, David Montgomery is so much more explosive, dynamic. He gets first downs that, frankly, Mike Davis can't get. Let's move things around. This didn't work. So hopefully he doesn't have a take lock and is willing to be flexible and allow Montgomery more opportunities. Davis is not going to be out of the picture. I think we can all agree on that. Probably he'll be there to vulture. He might take some early down work. But on third downs, give the ball to Montgomery. Yeah, this is one of those like look in the mirror moments. That joystick guy. I mean, what's his name? Tariq Cohen. Oh well, so Could yeah, be let's, there on those third downs too. So let's take it all in in full view. Like Matt Nagy definitely needs to have like a look in the mirror moment oh, coming out of this, this game because I mean he was running Cordero Patterson up the middle. Like, give me a break. I'm I'm for I am so pro Cordero Patterson like gadget plays. I'm pro him being out there but here's what i don't need you to do with cordero patterson don't need you to run him up the middle on third down and i don't need you to line him up and run out routes on third no. down and you have total be totally blanketed by kevin king or whatever like those aren't the things i need you to we be doing need with matt Nagy to self edit yeah so that's one thing he needs to look at i mean treat cohen was getting so much passing game usage that we actually had clowns adding the fantasy handle like time to make Tariq Cohen wide receiver eligible. Which oh no 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 no. Which by the way, that's bad for you. You want him to be. We don't have enough time to do this. I have. Oh, I've got time. I've I've got. You know what? Somebody tweeted that at me, and I said I'm going to pretend I didn't see this, and that is how I'm I'm proceeding. That's probably for the best. But the good thing about Matt Nagy is that we saw him last year be a guy who did vary his game plans up. So I think sure. he's capable of... And he did it in KC too. Yeah, I think he's capable of, of having that look in the mirror moment and seeing Dave Montgomery, better player. But I think you do have to at least adjust expectations, that, which I think honestly was foolish to begin with, that if you thought Mike Davis was going to be a total zero in the backfield, you you can't expect that. Sure. But you also... I mean, yes. We'll see if he adjusts. Miles Sander, 11 attempts, 25 yards, uh, one reception for another two through the air. I will say the silver lining here. I mean, it is not great when you're sharing a backfield pretty evenly with Darren Sproles, right? Like, <laughs> not what you want to see. Also, Matt said as we were watching these games, "R.I.P. Jordan Howard," and I could not agree with that more. Let's pour one out for the homie. But if you are sharing a backfield with Darren Sproles, again, you have to imagine that, as we've said before, this is going to be eventually an eventual um, catching up, right? Like, this right. is eventually going to become Miles Sanders' backfield. The best thing I did see, the optimistic thing that I want, I want to be optimistic. The thing I want to be optimistic about is the fact that 
Miles Sanders did get some of the goal line exposure yep. in this one, and that is meaningful. He had a touchdown called back, right? Too. Um, I don't know if it was that a reception. That was what I was referencing. Right. I don't know. Thank you. I can't remember if it was a reception or a carry. Uh, but either way, touchdown called back didn't happen. Doesn't matter necessarily, but at the same time, yeah, he's. I thought it was encouraging that he just outworked Jordan Howard because Howard, I thought, would be the bigger impediment. You know, again, Sproles, he's still here. Him and Frank Gore, like they should, they they're they're, they're like on opposite ends of the, the skill spectrum. spectrum yeah, right. They are doing the same jobs, but still, uh, like I can be optimistic about Singletary and his receiving uh, work. I can be optimistic about Montgomery and his skill set and Matt Nagy's available to, uh, ability to be flexible. I can be optimistic about Sanders and and his usage near the goal line. Can we be optimistic about Daryl Henderson and no. his nada? Because Malcolm Brown, Matt and I have been saying this for months. Do not forget that the Rams decided to match an offer sheet to the Lions in order to keep Malcolm Brown. He was the number two ahead of John Kelly towards the end of last year, and he got hurt, which is what created this whole C.J. Anderson debacle. Like, they... Sean McVay loves Malcolm Brown, and we saw that he was on the field for 26% of the Rams snaps. That's not as many as Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley did get in there and work a little bit as a closer, but he still was vultured by Malcolm Brown twice. Yeah, Malcolm Brown, like you said, team investment. He 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 performed well in this game, and I think I said this in my, in my Friday piece going into this week that that he was a guy you wanted to have on your roster for whatever the reveal was, right? Like, and and we got it here. This that he's the number two back. That Todd Gurley's not going away, of course. I mean, but something could happen that changes the situation, and then you want to have uh, Malcolm Brown on your roster for that. And uh, what do you do if you're Daryl Henderson, uh, drafter? Because like, I think you're kind of banged, right? Because you don't want to cut him because you probably spent too much draft capital on him which we, we sh- shouldn't have done <laughs> um outside of like a dynasty league or maybe some best ball situations but you you, you overdrafted him now you're he's basically a guy that if you cut him now you're really worried that the upside will reveal itself later but there's no usability here there's there's he's a pure stash i mean he is not not immediately. The problem is that, you know, Malcolm Brown has shown some durability issues, right? Yep. Um, his legs Actually, yeah. aren't nearly as fresh. So you're. I feel bad for the Henderson drafter because you're going to have to cut him to make room and to adjust if you want to keep winning. This is a head-to-head game that we play, right? And then eventually... Uh, Malcolm Brown will go down and you will need to reacquire him or he will be lost from you. Yeah, there is no difference now at this point between Daryl Henderson and Darwin Thompson. And Thompson had his peak, you know, moment there before the LaShawn McCoy signing. But Henderson was like a sixth, seventh, eighth round pick throughout draft season. Thompson kind of got towards the ninth round range. Featured in your first drumbeat article. He hasn't right. done a damn thing. Not since then. I mean, this was this is why the drum beat's important because he was like out there and people were like, hey, he's looking good in the preseason, bro. He's looking good in the preseason against. F- so did John Kelly in third and like third, fourth quarter goofballs. So yeah, I mean, if you drafted Henderson, I think this is the one. He's the most alarming situation out of the four of them. Well, let's get about. out of the negative and let's talk positive. The receivers. Let's start with another guy whose last name is Brown, Hollywood Brown. Yes, um, Matt. He didn't seem to have any foot issues to me. Hey. Still looked 
pretty quick. Only played 12 snaps, but it's worth noting that the entire... He smashed on those 12? <laughs> yeah, he, he crushed <laughs> crushed it, made the most of limited opportunities. It's also worth noting, you could say 12 snaps, and that sounds a little alarming, but like remember the, the entire... Off- I mean, we had RG3 out there in the fourth quarter. Like, right. uh, the, the whole offense was pretty much pulled, and why would you want to risk a guy that, that spent so much time on the injury report this But he didn't even get those reps, which I think is, is interesting that he didn't get that many reps and was still able to beat Minka Fitzpatrick like this is something I know that the the Miami Dolphins aren't particularly good but moving forward Hollywood Brown has real value to me especially because he makes Lamar Jackson look so gosh darn good I mean nailed it there uh so appropriate family friendly show here the iFantasy football podcast uh I think that like never do it again (laughs) I think the great thing and you know something that I don't think I ever really vocalized but thought about this a lot this offseason like people would say Hollywood Brown and John Brown like we saw John Brown completely erode from the offense last year, you know, when Lamar Jackson took over. I actually don't think those two are similar skill set players. Like, they're both good route runners. They're both speed threats. But what the first catch that we saw Hollywood Brown have today is different than something we expect out of John Brown. You know, John Brown is that curl route runner, that comeback route runner, works the sidelines. Hollywood Brown goes over the middle of the field. He takes that slant for over 50 yards and a touchdown. I mean, that's something that hey, you don't need any practice time to do that and um but also like they they have been working with each other even if right. you know it yeah. isn't the same it, totally and i think it's just worth yeah i mean like, lamar jackson had a, a real off season exactly as a team starter that's i mean that's why i was willing to give him like willing to almost kind of throw out what happened in his rookie year because you certainly called it i will give it to you something that neither of us saw coming though was um <laughs> the reign of terry mclaurin i mean it's worth it is it's 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 he was a, a fat like a speed another one of these speedy receivers you know teammates with Dwayne Haskins so I think we both kind of assumed that they would eventually develop as a, a duo once Haskins took the field and got enough reps I never saw him um as being a Case Keenum guy right now it is like Terry McLaurin was making some some noise in training camp at one point the thing was just like what are you, you going to do? You're not going to buy a Washington receiver. But also not with that, Case Keenum under center. Right, right, right. But, I mean, he was getting praised for his route running. He was getting sure. praised for for all that sort of stuff. So, you know, and this is a secondary that still has some question marks. I expected a much better defensive performance out of the Eagles in week one. But Case Keenum, every now and again, you know, he'll let his freak flag fly and, like, really go out there and dust a, a much better opponent. And he certainly did. Uh, Vernon Davis also got loose in this one. Um, and Jordan Reed was out. Jordan Reed was out, right? Uh, also, narrative street game time. for um, Jordan Reed because uh, the, or excuse me, for Vernon, Vernon Davis because uh, his his grandfather passed away uh, the day before this game, and he went out and uh, he was crying after his big touchdown catch. So you know. he's also a DC native. I mean, he left yeah. San Francisco to finish his career theoretically at home. Nice to see. Um, but Terry McLaurin, do you think there's any staying power here? I just really don't want to trust this offense. I, I, that, that's the issue. I don't want to touch, trust this offense. Um, I think the biggest story out of this offense was the fact that AP was a healthy scratch. I'm guessing he wasn't happy. I mean, we do have a data sample from New Orleans about AP not being happy about being on the sidelines when a younger player is making some noise, except Darius Geis did go to the medical tent in this game. Now, I don't think it was anything serious, and he is going to play moving forward, but um, ultimately, just this is a, a big pass for me. Yeah. 10 carries for 18 yards for Darius Geis on this one, too, which, like, if you don't like Washington's offense, this is what you expected. But I do want to just read Jay Gruden's quote about Adrian oh, Peterson this, after this the one, game. This one stings. Jay Gruden said about explaining Adrian Peterson's healthy scratch. 
if we have a game where we think we can run the ball 55 times in a game in an I formation, then sure, I'll get him up. Which like it's that second part. It's the and in an I formation. Like if you expect us to do the most dull thing ever, yeah, then I guess we'll use it. Except also, Jay, it's not like your offense is wildly dynamic and creative. I kind of you buried him, but you. You completely buried him. I mean, I, I feel kind of bad for Jay Gruden a little bit because he's just... Because I mean, he's, he's John up. Gruden's brother? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel bad for that. And he's kind of set up to fail here, you know, with, with Oh, if Washington. Dwayne Haskins doesn't work, it's it. This is it. Yeah. And I kind of think Jay Gruden has been Misaligned? Well, I think he's been better as an offensive coach than given credit for. I don't think he's a good... Kirk Cousins certainly thinks head, so. Right, right. Look at his bank account. Yeah. So, I mean, tough look for Adrian Peterson here. But uh, what are you going to do? Not a damn thing. Let's talk about <laughs> another um, rookie receiver, A.J. Brown, another guy that you and I, I think you and I both had him ranked in our top three, maybe yep. number two, yep. right? I yep. had him number two behind Hollywood Brown heading out this um, past April. Three receptions off of four targets for 100 yards. I don't think, well, you know what I was going to say? I don't think either one of us saw this coming, but we did both at one point say it wouldn't surprise us if A.J. Brown led the Titans receivers in receptions yeah. or production, but then he like was hurt yeah. and didn't have a lot of reps and like who wants a piece of this damn offense outside right. of Derrick Henry? Like the whole thing just looked messy, especially with the um O-line situation and um Taylor Lewan being suspended for the first month. But I gotta say the Titans looked better than I anticipated and Arthur Smith did a decent job doing what he could with what he had. I mean Imagine drafting Corey Davis like in the mid rounds this year. Oh woof! Three three targets, no catches, and then to see AJ well, Brown we all knew four that, targets. We all knew that. Sorry, Marcus Mariota was going to need a, a security blanket, right? And that could be AJ Brown, right? Like that big slot guy, really sure hands. Um, I think we thought that it would be Deion Lewis who's dropping damn balls, um, or we thought maybe it's Adam Humphreys, right? Like the Cole Beasley, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. slot guy. Um, but it turns out that I guess it's. Hollywood Brown, or at least from why are you smirking like? Because that? imagine drafting Adam Humphreys and getting one catch for five yards either. Like this, AJ Brown, I think is is a good player, right? I just don't know that I'm really willing to chase. Like you said, I, I don't well, know if I'm. How much do you believe in the Cleveland Cleveland Browns defense? I mean, I, 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 I came do. in saying I thought that this was going to be a good defense, and I mean the passing game though still wasn't good. Marcus Mariota sure he threw three touchdowns, but like. He wasn't moving the ball efficiently. Derrick Henry was, you know, moving the ball. Like one of Mariota's touchdowns was a 75-yard touchdown reception by Derrick Henry. I mean, I'm not going to like toot my own horn for two targets from Derrick Henry when Deion Lewis did catch uh, three balls there. So that's still an impediment. But, you know, nevertheless, that was the big push for Marcus Mariota's big fantasy day, but I'm I'm just really not trying to chase this this passing offense. I'm interested in AJ Brown. Okay, he is available in uh, like over 95 percent of Yahoo leagues. I I, I he can love be available the kids in talent. I mean, I love the kids. I I gotta say, like I love the kids' talent, and I don't think that if and when Mariota gets pulled for Tan- Tannehill, it affects AJ Brown at all. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I do really like the talent. Again, it's just the situation. DK Metcalf is another. This is AJ Brown's former teammate at Ole Miss. Um, I was surprised at how well he did. Four of six for 89. He looked good. I mean, the Bengals certainly have their problems. Yeah, the Bengals stink. Uh, But coming off of a knee scope, considered labeled raw, 
coming out of the draft, fell in the draft. Um, what it, what this whole Seahawks offense was a little. I mean, outside of Chris Carson, yeah, Carson was a rock. Carson got seven targets. Like for all the people who were, that was what they said they <laughs> yeah. were, did what they were going to do. Yeah, fifteen then fifteen carries as well. I mean, but they took. I mean, Seattle just didn't run a ton of plays. I mean, twenty throws. Like I said, fifteen carries for Carson. I will say. In the passing game, I know William Jackson, who is their best corner, had a great 2017 season, was tracking Tyler Lockett around the field, who, of course, made, made good on his one catch. One. 44 yards and a touchdown. Um, but Metcalf, I, will, I was encouraged by how they used him just from the little limited glimpses I got of this game. Obviously, they use him on a deep sideline shot. That's good. You want he's, he's great at contested passes. But one thing I really liked was on one of his catches, and it's against straight Kirkpatrick, who's not good, but... They got him a free release, gave him that quick slant to the middle of the field. That is the optimal way to make use of a guy like DK Metcalf. And I will say, I definitely got spooked off of him uh, mm-hmm. after the injury, the, which the knee scope I think yeah. was worth worth being spooked by. But going into that, I think I remember we were about to do a podcast like the day before that happened or something. And I said, I'm like, I'm kind of warming to DK as like a 10th round pick. And then like he gets hurt and I'm, I'm out. But at the end of the day, I think there's so much opportunity in this uh, pass Especially while group. David Moore is out. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think DK's in a perfect spot. I'm, I'm still really high on so him. So we can continue. We will continue to believe uh, in his ascent or evolution moving forward. Yeah, he certainly should be on rosters in almost all league formats, I think. Do you know who really showed us who they were today and was were true to their word? Yes. Men of honor. The Minnesota Vikings. Yes. We had a legit identity confirmation. Mike Zimmer has been screaming at us. We don't want to. We want to run the ball. Yeah. Like, I don't care if we have Stefan Diggs. I don't care if I have Adam Thielen. I don't care if I I paid my quarterback all this damn money. You know what I want to do? I want to run Delvin Cook into the damn ground. And he did, except Delvin Cook didn't run into the ground. He ran vertically on light little feet. Yeah, he ran right through the Atlanta Falcons defense. Now, let's predict it. Like, yeah, let's give some. Some some aspects here, here. Some perspective, yeah. The Falcons were a great matchup. I think the highest they finished in football outsiders run DVOA in the uh, in the Dan Quinn era was twentieth. They finished like twenty eighth and thirty second in other um, in other seasons. And also, of course, we know that they have allowed the most receptions to running backs in each of the last four seasons as well. So this was a great matchup. And it was a great game script, great game script too. I mean, they're they're up twenty eight to nothing going into the fourth quarter. They're smacking the Falcons around. That's perfect for running the ball. But yeah, as you said, they have been screaming this at us since they fired John DeFilippo at the end of last season. They want to be a run first team. They bring in the Kubiak contingent. They spend a first round pick on a center. They spend a, a third round pick on a backup running back. This is who they want to be. So I think that bringing up Alexander Madison, their backup running back. Is important here because a lot of people were scared about, you know, we talked about Malcolm Brown and Todd Gurley and the vulturing, right? People were scared, especially considering Dalvin Cook's durability issues in the past, as to what usage Alexander Madison would have, right? Is this Latavius Murray 2.0? If we are looking at week one's data, the answer is no. Dalvin Cook touched the ball 23 damn times. Alexander Madison had nine carries and zero targets in the receiving game. I'm not afraid of him. No, I'm not afraid of him either, but he's certainly someone you want to have on rosters because... Not now. Oh. No, Matt. I mean, I, th- I you think don't, so. No, it's not handcuff season. 
Not, you don't not have, when you I don't, see my you, running back get 23 touches. I am not wasting a roster spot on Alexander Madison. You don't have to be the Dalvin Cook owner to have him, but look. if How many roster spots you have, friends? Some people only have like four bench spots. All right. I'm just saying you want to have. You want to have guffawing <laughs> at the the thought, the notion of you adding. I think Alexander he's. Madison. I think he's still shook about the Cordero Patterson slander, but nevertheless, uh, I think that you look. They even said they want him to be their Latavius Murray. I, again, I'm not scared of him on a week to week basis, but these are the type of lottery tickets you want to have on your team. I mean, you still want to have Justice Hill on your prioritize. team. Yeah, sure. Like, if you want to keep Danny Amendola on your bench over... Nobody's keeping Danny Amendola. Like, the the, <laughs> the percentage owned is wildly different. Like, you can't say that. That's, that's like keeping, you know, I don't know, Demarius Thomas on your bench. Well, I mean... Just in case. He might be... Uh, Great glass. He, he might be uh, active in 11 personnel, so you never know. <laughs> um, um, where are we? Man, now I got off track. Um, so, we know Minnesota is who they want to be. Um, they are who they told us they were. Cleveland, though, let's let's dig in a little more. I know yes. we talked about him um, in relation to the Tennessee game and my new favorite player, apparently, A.J. Brown, who I would stash over Alexander Madison. But oh, no. I know they fell flat, man. Yep. What happened? So I don't know if we really talked about this while we were watching the games. There's a lot. going Well, on. We, that we I don't think we've given enough credit this offseason to like we don't know who Freddie Kitchens is like as a head coach at all. We know who he is as an offensive play caller all that sort of stuff and like we like him as a personality i think but this team looked really undisciplined this this week i mean and there's a lot of volatile personalities there we we do know that but the browns committed 18 penalties they got a player ejected and they got i mean they looked weak at home and that was the most penalties that the Cleveland Browns have had since 1951, bro. Yeah, for all the bad Browns teams that have been out there, that's not good. No. And look, I think this Titans defense is a little underrated. Sure. Uh, they have, especially up front, and like, like I said, the player that was ejected was their left tackle, Greg Robinson, who's also not even good to begin with. They do have major problems on the offensive line, and this is a team that wants to get the ball down the field. So that's kind of, you know, not, not in, in concert no. there. But this is a team on Tennessee that has Jarrell Casey still. They spent the first round pick on a defensive tackle. Um, and most importantly, they have Cameron Wake, who is like ageless. Talking about the Titans. Yeah. Versus the offensive line that was supposed to be protecting Baker Mayfield, but allowed him to be sacked five times. Right. And Mayfield also just made some bad. He just had a bad game. They looked um, not in sync. Yeah. Right. Like the and I, I wonder if the hip issue for Odell is coming into play here, if there's a reps issue, if there's a, a rapport issue. But I think you're right that that pointing out the lack of discipline is certainly important. Um, and I'm interested to see, are, are you freaked out at all? Like, are you freaked out by Nick Chubb? Are you freaked out by OBJ? Are you willing to, like, give this team the benefit of the de- bout, doubt out of the gate, especially when they're on Monday night? next week at the Jets. I mean, with Nick Chubb, like 17 for 75 on the ground and another three for 10 through the air, like quit your whining, you know, like that's a, that's a fine performance for your RB one. It's not, it's not Dalvin cook coming out of the gate, but I don't know what there is to be freaked out about. And I guess the most, the thing I am freaked out about is that Odell Beckham jr. Averaged 10 yards per reception. Yeah. But that's even, not his job. But even then, like 
seven for 71 is 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 fine from a bottom line perspective he's still got 11 targets and but the way he i mean but we we like to talk about process the way he got those yards is concerning to me like that's sure. that is a jarvis landry line that is not an odell beckham line <laughs> yeah. jarvis landry mine meanwhile is averaging 16.8 Per reception, like, something's not right here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, or Shard Higgins on his on his two catches, twenty three yards per catch. So, yeah, I think that hey, maybe you're right about the hip. You know, the hip. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're right, but at the end of the day, I think this is a team that does need to take some time to come together. I am certainly willing to say more. This is just a bad game. Sure, and I would love to see Freddie Kitchens versus Adam Gase next week on primetime. Wow. <sighs> Um. All right. I think that that is gonna do it. We have. Us. Yeah. I think we have. We have covered it all. We've done. We said it all. Josh Gordon's already scored a touchdown on Sunday Night Football. So. So I mean, you have the prime view. I can't. You're like keep looking over my shoulder, and I'm not really allowed to turn back and watch the game because I have to talk into the mic and look at your mustache. I mean, weakest mustache in the room, by the way. <laughs> not even. Not even close. But we will be back on Friday, y'all. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. Also, if you got something to do, maybe check out a new show premiering on Monday called Cover 3 with myself. And uh, we will be on uh, taking a look back on Sunday's games, looking forward to Monday's games. We have some field trips planned. um, It's it's a weekly show, so check it out. I'd appreciate it if you would. I'm at LizLoza underscore FF. That's Matt Harmon underscore BYB. We've had a long day. Long day. We, too, are shaking off some rust. But we will be back and sharper than the Cleveland Browns this Friday. Yeah.